Welcome on into the 2022 JWB Draft Day Extravaganza. We brought this content to you one year ago with a much smaller group. Myself, Wyatt, Skyler, Matt, all back for a second year. We're welcoming Tyler, Jake, Nate, and Tony to this party as well. Let's get it rolling. On last year's program, I was able to bring you such nuggets as Jamar Chase, Reach of the Draft. The Bengals are going to ruin their entire season. Justin Fields, steal of the draft, Bears headed to the playoffs. Let's see how badly I can help screw it up this year. Wyatt, let's kick it off with you just as a quick intro, my friend. Give me a letter grade for the Browns draft. Let me know what you're drinking. Oh, boy. C plus? I don't know. They they, had, they hit on some needs. Didn't love the exact players they hit on on those needs. That's all I could basically say. I mean, we, we spent most of our capital before and so really cares also uh just some nice water for me today okay skylar undisputed 101 of jwb give me a letter grade on the bills draft what are you drinking let's see i have water and some tea to start the day and bills draft i'll go a solid um a solid b here just because i'm not i'm I'm not uh, completely sold on round two yet, just given we took the player in round two. But I, I was I was psyched, psyched to get uh, Elam there. I, you don't take a running back in round one for everyone who wouldn't stop talking about Brees Hall. So I'm, I was very pleased. He was he was the corner we wanted pre-draft, and we traded up and locked him in. So I'm stoked about that. Letting Levi walk and having Trey Day get hurt last year, corner was like obviously a need. Matt, JWB Rider die since day one. I'm feeling like an alcoholic. Please come in and save me. Grade the Browns draft, and what are you drinking? Browns draft, I got to say with Wyatt, I'm maybe CC minus. I'm not happy with the value. Like, they kind of reached on some guys at, at points. I didn't like trading back, like, the capital they got in return for what they gave up. I'm not a big fan of, and it's. I think it's a really important draft with how much the Browns gave up over these next few years to bring in Watson, and we don't even know how how much he's going to play this year. So not super happy with it, and I'm just drinking some water. I got uh, heading heading to the gym next, and then uh, grocery store. So haven't jumped into the alcohol. Tony. Crushing the competition co-host. We'll be back soon for some regular shows. Please save me with an alcoholic beverage and a Miami oh. Dolphins draft grade. Um, I can't help you with the alcoholic beverage, but I can give you some insight on Dolphins draft picks. I I didn't necessarily love them. Uh, we only had a few of them, so I thought we'd attack more of the positional needs. I mean, they got a wide receiver that I don't really know if it was necessary to take him, but they took him, and I watched a little bit of tape on him. It looks good, but I'm more happy with the linebacker they took from Georgia. Um, hopefully he can fill, fill a void chasing down uh, Buffalo's Josh Allen. So we'll see. And then taking another quarterback late, I guess that's for depth. But uh, I don't know. Maybe a C, C minus, kind of like the Browns guys are saying. Just kind of like a meh feeling. Not a, not a great way to start this out. Everybody's feeling meh. Nate. Let's pick it up with some Broncos talk, and what are you drinking? Can I expect to see a Russell Wilson song coming soon from you? I don't know about the song, but uh, I have been singing his praises everywhere. I watch his highlights to go to sleep at night. But uh, the draft itself, uh, yeah, probably not much better than a C+, maybe a B-. I like the first pick with the edge. 
Um, but I was hoping that we would get at least some depth at tackle because I'm not convinced our right tackle situation is all that great. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm unfortunately, I'm in the water camp as well. So I'm leaving you high and dry there. All right, Tyler, I need to see some natty light and a good high grade for the Lions. I got you on half of that. Also drinking some uh, old-fashioned water here. I had my natty lights last night. And I, I hit my quota. So as much as I wanted some today, the body said no. Lions, uh, give them B plus, maybe A minus, right in that, you know, teeters between the two of them. You know, I really think they did a great job hammering the positions of need. It was a great draft. I think I go I, on Twitter or whatnot, read some articles. Everyone seems pretty happy with the Lions did. Um, I, you know, I think what's stopping them from like a solid A is like I'm not as sold on Jamison Williams. I do like the move that they uh, did to move up to grab a wide receiver. They're flying off the board. We needed some wide receiver help. We basically like robbed the the Vikings of that pick. Like it was pretty incredible the value that we were able to get there. But um, overall happy. I think we, we needed help at edge, wide receiver, tight end, safety, linebacker, our top five needs. We drafted at least one person in all those positions. We had some of the worst, uh, I think we're like lowest in sack rate, lowest in pressure rate, and we spent two of our uh, top three picks on a pretty solid edge player. So I think they really uh, did a great job. All right, Jake, bring us home with some beers and hopefully a stout. Some uh, bears. Look at that. Yeah. Some bears and some stout. I like it. But Freudian slip, I got water too. I'm sorry. Uh, the alcohol is representing in the background for you though. So at least like visually it's there. It's um, Bears draft, I'm probably in like a mid C. I, I would like to grade it higher because we did enter the draft with just a handful of picks, walked out with 11. Um, but I feel like we left, uh, you know, some players on the table. Um, we added a nice veteran to the room for uh, Justin Fields and Darnell Mooney um, and, and soon to be 25 year old Vilas Jones. So that's always a, a huge move to make. Um, you know, with the wide receiver talent that was on the board there, though, admittedly, I don't like it, but a lot of stabs at offensive line. So a lot of guys who could potentially fight for some roles here, um, good defensive picks to kind of fortify some clear weak points in the defense. Um, I would have liked to see a, a better wide receiver out of there. And, and given some of the receivers that were on the board at the end of the, uh, you know, end of the second round there and middle of the third, you know, I think the bears could have gone wide receiver there and I'd probably given them a higher grade. So it remains to be seen, but I'll stick with a solid C at this point. So I'll say this, gentlemen, we're going to start off talking about some quarterbacks and the meh attitude towards almost everyone's personal team draft seems to uh, kind of match how the league felt about quarterbacks, right? We've seen a lot of very high prospects fall rapidly in the past 72 hours. No fall from grace has been more impactful than the one that we've seen from Malik Willis. I was hoping that I would see him go seventh overall, not just because I was copying Tyler's bet on seventh pick of the draft it ended up being a little bit later than seven nate <laughs> what, what can you tell me about what happened and why um uh, i think what happened is the nfl just realized what of a project malik willis is and uh kind of treated him as such i think uh, nfl media did a good job pumping his tires and getting everybody hyped about where he'd go and uh, the nfl uh, as individual organizations was nowhere near on board with with the hype i mean Malik Willis, uh, Tyler and I did a pod uh, maybe a month ago now, and I kind of tore into Malik Willis a little bit, so I don't need to rehash every single thing I said about him, but like the guy played against firemen and plumbers, put up a 4.5 yards per carry, yet he was touted as the next Lamar. Like people were saying, oh, his floor is like two or three Jalen Hurts seasons. No, the floor is that he never sees a snap, and like that's a very realistic possibility given where he went in this draft. 
Uh, if Tannehill can bounce back, like he may never get on the field at all. It's pretty possible. And a lot of people, a lot of analysts out there are going to say, oh, you know, it was always contingent on first round draft capital. But that doesn't help people who like traded or selected the 102 in startup drafts, hoping for Malik Willis. And they're saying, this is going to be my quarterback based on all these analysts saying that how great he was and how he was going to give you that floor. Um, that doesn't help those people. So you gotta you gotta take into account the fact that he just wasn't a very good prospect. He was way overhyped. Um, the talent is undeniable. I'm not here to uh, deny that he has a great arm, great rushing ability. Um, but this was kind of always a very real possibility and one that Tyler Tyler and I tried to get out there. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of. We've been kind of uh, reveling in it a little bit. Obviously, feel bad for the player, but uh, in terms of a fantasy take, I think we're we're on board with it. So right now, I have Malik Willis as my two ten, still playing with the ranks a little bit. Two ten in superflex um, rookie drafts. I have him behind Pickett and Corral. So two ten in rookie drafts is exactly one round later than where he's currently going. Data that we've got from early this morning is suggesting that if you're sitting at 111, that's about where Willis is going. Wyatt, I'm going to kick it to you here to see how you feel about this particular draft position for Willis. That means, by and large, the community is still taking Malik over. Guys like Pickens, Spiller, Dotson. Are you on board with that? Not whatsoever. I think the 210, like Nate was saying, is right in line with my feelings. I also have him behind Corral as well as Pickett. Uh, I want to applaud the JWB team because we've basically all been low on Willis going into this draft and only had him up, you know, around the 105 really because of expected draft capital. But none of us really were interested in Willis. So I'm proud of us for <laughs> kind of foreseeing this a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Nate that that 111 is way too rich for me. Yeah, that's interesting. I will say we're going to have to take a lot of what Wyatt says with a grain of salt today. You are the author of my favorite take from last year's draft day, Distravag Extravaganza, calling uh, Urban Meyer a very productive offensive coach, and Trevor Lawrence is a smash dunk for an early quarterback pick who should sneak in to the back end of QB1 by the end of the year. So I probably have just gotten higher on Malik from this conversation alone. Now, the community is higher on Pickett. Pickett is the only guy going in rookie drafts earlier than Malik Willis. He's getting taken around 107. Skylar, I'll come to you for this one. What do you think about Pickett in general at 107? And give me a little breakdown for what to expect from him maybe this year if he does play right away. Yeah, 107 is still a little high for me. Um, let's not get it twisted. This wasn't the second overall pick. This was pick 20. And they did just bring in um, Mitchell Trubisky. So I think there's a non-zero chance that Trubisky starts the entire first season and potentially more thereafter. I think just given all the QB buzz in Pittsburgh, there is a chance for Pickett to start and come in year one, which is why I will justify a first-round price. But I wouldn't be looking at him before that 111 uh, territory. I'm not taking him above any of the premium wide receivers that went in round one. Um, I would be thinking Pickens, uh, Pickett more around the range of Christian Watson and George Pickens. And there's no way I'm taking him over guys like Sky Moore um, or Jameson Williams or Chris Olave, etc. in that second tier wide receivers. So I Pickett has come up my board a couple spots since getting selected in the first round, but that was kind of what I expected. He, him going up a few spots was more a product of everyone else sliding out. 
No, I'm going to take a lot more of what you say as gospel. You'll be the only person on the other end of the tape for your uh, takes last year. After looking at some receipts, we're going to give Skylar some claps for some some very good takes last year, including Mac Jones plays early and the Patriots are sneaky good, potentially a low-end playoff team. Hell of a call that early in the year. Really, really good. Um, Matt, I'm going to come to you for a little bit here, too, in relation to the other quarterbacks. I'm curious what you think about Ritter and Coral Corral. One sixteen or 16th overall, 17th overall. So they're going a little bit early to mid-second round in some of these dynasty drafts. I actually think, personally, I might like those guy at a cheaper price than paying a little bit more for one of the other two. What's your opinion here? I kind of, I kind of feel the same um, with you there. I'd probably feel a little more comfortable with their price than some of the, the higher prices. Um, you know, especially looking at kind of like around Ritter, I think he can do a lot. Um, and they've definitely got some weapons down there in atlanta you know they just got drake london they have pits from last year um you know if calvin ridley ever plays for them again who knows um you know but they've got a great setup there for him to sit and learn a little bit here behind mariota um i think he could contend in camp but i think they're going to be walking in mariota to start but long term um i think you can get good value out of ritter also love the daughter and the family. I, I'm a big guy and just liking guys sometimes because they seem like nice people. Gotta like the work ethic on Ritter. And I hope that that translates and that he and the family do really well. Uh, interesting facet of draft weekend is not just what happens to these rookies, but how our opinions of guys who are already in the league start to substantially change based on what happens. Malik Willis ends up as a number two behind Tannehill. A.J. Brown leads that team and is now a part of the Philadelphia Eagles. That has a massive impact on guys like Jalen Hurts. Jake, I think you felt pretty strong in particular about Jalen Hurts coming out of the draft, right? Yes. If anybody has seen me on Twitter for the past two days, I've been arguing for Jalen Hurts quite a bit. Uh, people want to knock him as a passer, but we saw very, very good progression. If you actually look at, you know, look at a breakdown of how he performed year one into year two. And we have to remember that this is a guy who's still, you know, this was his first real NFL offseason. This is his first time really getting a chance to be the number one in the offense, first time getting work. Uh, but we're also looking at, you know, a situation where, you know, a guy like A.J. Brown, who's one of the best receivers against man coverage in the NFL, gets to go to Jalen Hurts, who was one of the top, you know, top 12-ish. Uh, passers against man's coverage last year so you know and, and the knock on Hertz incorrectly is that he doesn't really work the middle of the field or intermediate intermediate routes as well um, but if you look at like a you know the passer rating charts that are on, available on next gen stats for his performance last year that's actually where he had quite a bit of success even more so than Tannehill in a lot of situations so I don't I don't think there could have been a better situation and this signifies to me that the Eagles are, are looking to pass more you don't trade for a guy that your quarterback wants and you don't give them $100 million if you're not transitioning your offense to at least be a little bit more pass-heavy. If I gave you the opportunity to just pick straight up Hurts or Fields and Dynasty, who would you take? I, I uh, That one's hard for me. Um, my heart leans Justin Fields, um, but I have to admit that while he probably has a little bit of a longer leash than Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts is, is much more you know, set up to succeed over the next year or two. And given that I tend to not think of dynasty more than like a two or three year window, I probably slightly lean hurts at this point. 
That's interesting. I can kind of get behind that opinion as well. One thing that I have found myself thinking, and I don't think I'm alone here, so I'm curious, maybe Tyler, if you would take this one, it, I feel a lot better about Hurts than I did previously. I've never been a huge guy on Jalen Hurts. I've always loved A.J. Brown. I found myself at the end of last year also kind of liking the projected path that I thought Devontae Smith might take. Now I feel like I'm mourning the death of every part of the Eagles offense, even though I feel better about Hurts. Is that crazy to like Hurts more, but I'm kind of out on Smith and Brown at the same time? So, I mean, I think being out on A.J. Brown is a little crazy. Uh, A.J. Brown is that dude. I mean, the dude is an absolute elite talent. He, he like, garners – like, he needs the football. He's going to get the football. He's that kind of player. Um, so, basically, I, I'm, I got Hurts up a little bit. Like, I still not 100% sold on Hurts being the future there. I mean, is he going to smash in 2022? Like, absolutely. This is great. Like, this is absolutely wonderful for Hurts. Like, really depends how the Eagles do. If I think that they – you know, they, they've gotten some ammo. They, they traded away one of their 2022 firsts for 2023. I think they're really setting themselves up. Like, if Hurts does not figure out this year in 2022 that um, – they can set themselves up well to go get that quarterback in 2023. But for 2022, yeah, Hurts is an absolute smash. This is huge form. Um, as I said, A.J. Brown maybe moves a little bit down in my rankings, but not too much. But what I'm really concerned about here is Devonta Smith shares. Definitely got a couple. I'm a big fan of his game. Uh, he was the kind of guy that was fading a little bit uh, during the offseason last year. But then after he started playing, I, I came around. I actually acquired a couple of Devonta Smith shares. He was also one of those guys I thought was going to be pretty safe. Um even if the Eagles decided to go wide receiver in round one, I still like Devonta Smith's odds and still being that dude in the offense. So like, I thought Devonta Smith was going to be incredibly safe this year, but little did I know that they were going to go out and trade for one of the most elite wide receivers in the NFL. Like no one can survive that. Like, and you look at the Eagles last year. I mean, if you look at the run to pass ratio. I mean, the Eagles were one of the run heaviest teams in the NFL. And I think, you know, Jake made a great point that when you get A.J. Brown, like you're going to want to pass a little bit more. So sure, like let's say the Eagles pass a little bit more. Let's tick them up, you know, two, three, four percent in terms of, you know, give them a little bit more, um, you know, pass and going away from the run. They're still going to be like in the bottom five of the NFL in terms of how much they're deciding to pass. Like this is a run first team. They're going to stay run first. Yes, they're probably going to pass a bit more with A.J. Brown out there. But at the same time, um, they're going to try to run. And they got Jalen Hurts, who's going to score touchdowns on the ground. So um, I just don't think there is enough meat on the bone uh, for Devonta Smith to, you know, ascend. Like, you know, we're, we're hoping Devonta Smith is going to put a top 20 year up or something like that. You know, he, he, he was very promising in his rookie year. I think we're all thinking that it was good things were going to get better for him. I definitely think it did myself. But with A.J. Brown in town, like this is a guy who like we're talking like, you know, 28 to 30 percent target share wherever he goes. Um, and then you just add in the fact that the Eagles don't really pass the ball that much. You know, Goddard still exists. It's it's just tough sledding for Devonta Smith. So he was a big loser of this draft for me. And I mean, and no fault of his own. It's just AJ Brown is that dude. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting take, and it does kind of lead me to one of the topics I wanted to hit with all you gentlemen, which is how we feel about receivers. Uh, on the flip side of all this Eagles madness is what's going on with the Titans. So let's start by talking about some receivers, Tony. I think you might have mentioned that you were feeling pretty good about Burks. If if you would. It's kind of hot, so just give me a second, boys, and we'll start talking about our favorite landing spots Jesus. for wide receivers in this particular <laughs> draft. But it, you are into Traylon Burks, Tony. Is that correct? I am. Yeah. Uh, I mean, going into draft weekend, I don't think any of us were expecting the Titans to go after a top talent wide receiver, and here we are after all three days of the draft, and like 
Traylon Burks has the opportunity to absolutely skyrocket on the Titans. I mean, you know, I know we've got Brandon or not Brandon Cooks, uh, Robert Woods in town on the Titans now, and I feel like like it's almost like in my mind a copy and paste with Traylon Burks and AJ Brown. I mean, I I'm not comparing them right now. I'm just saying that the the ability for Burks to get to that level, I think that's there. And the fact that he ended up with a quarterback and a system where like that's been proven success gets me all giddy for him. Um, I would love to see him be impactful as a rookie right away in fantasy, which he might, but I also, you need, you need Derek Henry to be healthy and you need Tannehill to not be a, the Miami Dolphins Tannehill, but regardless, uh, I'm really liking Traylon Burks ending up in Tennessee. I think that's a great fit for him. I think it's, it's interesting. The line that you have in there that has me thinking is it's a, it's a copy paste. So I'm curious to see what sort of production they could have in year one. Um, I'm still trying to figure out exactly who I think the most productive wide receiver will be in redraft formats for this year. So Jesus. maybe we'll see who ends up being uh, the best at the end of the year. I know some people have thought Drake London may have an opportunity stepping into uh, essentially vacated role with Calvin Ridley gone in Atlanta. Jake, do you think he's got what it takes to end up as rookie wide receiver one? I think it's definitely possible. We're looking at an offense that, you know, maybe in an Arthur Smith offense, you see a little bit more of what you saw last year um, or, you know, in previous years with uh, when he was in Tennessee, where they are a little bit more run heavy. But that said, you don't draft a guy like Drake London that high and not expect to use him. You know, there's a lot of knocks that people like to give on London that, you know, he's just a contested catch guy, which it's very clear that that's not all that he is. You know, he's not Julio Jones. Let's let's be real here. He's not one of the freakiest athletes that we've seen in the past, you know, 10 or 20 years. But Drake London can be a very, very productive NFL wide receiver. His only real target competition is, you know, Kyle Pitts, you know, a generational talent in and of his own right. Cordero Patterson, I don't think, has a chance to repeat anything close to what we saw last year. Um, you know, he's just getting older. The, the speed that he has is, you know, just going to continue to decrease as, as time goes on. And while we saw a nice late breakout from him, you know, last year, I, I don't project him to continue up that pace. And he didn't even keep that pace going through, like, fantasy playoffs. I think Drake London has a very good path to fantasy wide receiver one. You know, there's a lot of really good receivers in this class that I think could, you know, have come out and taken that role. But London and, and Burks, it's kind of a 1A, 1B situation for me where I could see it go either way. Now, Matt, I'll come to you next. Last year on this program, you had some very good takes on Justin Fields going over, over the tape just on some patience, some potential huge ceiling in the future, a lot of things that seem like they're going to be very true. I, I think a lot of that is because you have a very good Ohio State knowledge as that's one of your rooting allegiances. I'm curious what you think about both Chris Olave and Wilson, and in particular, even if it's not wide receiver one, what do you think of Olave fitting into the Saints office? How does it impact guys like Jameis going forward as well? So I think um, Wilson was probably wide receiver one for me going into the draft as a prospect. But I love the fit with Olave in uh, New Orleans. One, he doesn't have to immediately step up as, as their dominant wide receiver one. Michael Thomas is still there. He's coming back. And if anyone's seen him on Twitter over this last weekend, like I've, I haven't seen a, a guy so like pumped up, ready to get back to work. Like I have him over these last couple of days. Um, and then Olave's got great speed. He's a, he's a huge deep threat target. Um, probably the best route runner. Um, he's got really good 
footwork moves. He stays stays low in and out of his cuts, um, really able to create the separation that you need in the NFL. And he's just got great ball tracking skills as well. Um, you know, looking at the other receivers he played with in college, with Wilson, with Jameson Williams for a little bit, you know, he was the touchdown guy. You know, he holds Ohio State's um, all-time receiving touchdown record with 36 um, past David Boston this year. Um, and he's going to be able to to fit in here, you know, really well in New Orleans. And I love that, especially I'm a huge Jameis guy. I think everybody knows that. I will always be a Jameis fan. If he's on the field playing football, that is must-watch football, whether he's good or he's bad. It's amazing. Um but looking at him last year, you know, what he was doing without, you know, Michael Thomas, without a good line, um, you know, it was pretty, pretty eye-opening to see him do some good things. You know, I was looking at some of his stats and numbers. Since 2019, um, he's started 22 full games and has five games with four or more passing touchdowns. That is That puts him, I think, sixth in the NFL right now. Um, and like, that's pretty amazing seeing that he didn't play um, that, you know, 2020. Um, and then, you know, so his EPA per play last year and adjusted EP play or expected points added, he was second in the entire NFL behind only NFL MVP Aaron Rodgers. So I'm looking at a healthy New Orleans team, a new wide receiver, Michael Thomas back, You've still got Kamara, um, a new new offensive line with drafting Penning. Um, you know, I'm thinking Jameis to the moon. Like the guy can finally see for the first time in his life too after LASIK. Like he's he's ready to go. So I love the love the fit with him and Olave. I like a lot of different pieces of that offense. I'll be curious not only how they do from fantasy perspective, but how they do in that division because there's some winnable games that should be there for them as well. Uh, following that little mini run of Ohio State receivers, William Williams ends up at the 12th pick overall to Detroit. How do you feel about that, Tyler? So I, I felt like the move was right. So they moved up from 32 to 12, 20 spots in the first, and all they did was move back in the second and gave up a third. Like that's a smash value in itself. So that kind of made things better for me. You know, moving I, – I, in the moment, I wanted them to move up and grab Kyle Hamilton. We needed a safety. They didn't do it. Um, thing about James Williams, I don't love him, but I've been wrong before. Not batting 100 over here. Um, I know some really smart people really love James Williams. I don't. I think, you know, he has a lot of work to do in terms of being an NFL route runner. Like, yeah, he's got the speed. Speed kills, but, like, I don't know if that speed's going to just, you know, carry him to be a productive wide receiver in the NFL. But I also, you know, I I, I got to, you know, admit the fact that he fits the team well. Um, we got um, St. Brown. We got Hawkinson, Swift. None of those guys are necessarily deep threats. Like, having a nice deep threat in there definitely fits the team. We needed a wide receiver. So, I mean, he's the reason why it's, a, it's, it's an A- minus, not an A for a draft grade for me. But um, I think he has a shot at being somewhat productive. I know Goff, as much as we hate on him, has supported two – you know, pass catchers in the twenty top twenty four before, so like he he can do it. But um, I'm I'm personally just not crazy about Jameson Williams, uh, Jameson Williams the prospect. So I think it's solid. I think it's fine. He deserves to be in the the mid to late first conversation. But I would say I'm whelmed thinking about it. But I'm hoping for the best, obviously. 
Whelmed. Whelmed is a good way to phrase that. I like that. Uh, interesting for me here being in DC now, it was a lot of commanders talk all over the radio and with some people that I know leading up to the draft. And it seemed like they were just so all in on getting Wilson at the 11th pick. And that's all they wanted. Give Wentz a weapon, see what happens. Lo and behold, then draft day comes. Wilson's not there. And I find myself wondering, well, what the hell are they going to do? When the dust settles, they end up trading back a little bit, picking up some assets, and they come out of it with Dotson. And for a team that needs to win some games right now for a Ron Rivera to even keep his job, I find that to be a really interesting fit that may pay off right away. Nate, what are your feelings on Dotson? Yeah, I've been a huge Dotson supporter uh, all offseason. I think the guy's terrific. I think he's going to walk right into an NFL offense and contribute right away. So I think that makes sense uh, for what the commanders want to do there. Um, and then, yeah, we still got um, Terry McLaurin there, so it's kind of a one-two punch there. Um, but Terry McLaurin is up after this year, and we don't know what that contract situation is going to be like. We've seen these crazy contracts going around, wide receivers getting tossed around the league because no one wants to pay them. Um, there's a lot going up in the air. So Dotson could be in line to be uh, the commander's wide receiver one as soon as next year. Like, that's a very real possibility. So, um in terms of this year, I don't know if Dotson's going to have a huge year, but I'm a big Dotson supporter in general. I think he's going to contribute right away, and then if he contributes enough, they could be looking at him as their wide receiver one as soon as next year. It's a bold take, wide receiver one in 2023 for Dotson. McLaurin's at least currently still there. Deami Brown's there. Skyler, what do you think of the mix? Um, it's an interesting situation. Uh, Jahan Dotson, if he doesn't get off to the hottest of starts. This could be like an Elijah Moore type situation where we really don't see any production until mid to late season, or I'm not sure where their bye week is going to fall, uh, which, but if that's where you see somebody, I'll definitely keep my eye on to buy in where I missed them in these rookie drafts, because for everything Nate said, we don't have any clarity on Terry's contract situation. I don't think it's a lock that they give it to him. I don't think it's a lock that they don't move him. If they do give him that extension, we'll have to readjust where we're at with Johan Dotson and um, you know what we can expect as far as target share with Carson Wentz in that offense. But uh, for now, he's somebody that I'm very interested in taking in the back end of your first round of rookie drafts, and I will be eyeing as the season goes on because I feel like managers might get impatient if he isn't putting up numbers right away. They're gonna they're gonna see you know how De'Ami Brown face planted last year, and they might think, okay, this is just another missed guy, and that's when you can you can sneak in and grab some value. If you did that with Elijah Moore last year, yeah, you, you know you were very happy. It's interesting to have this amount of diversity in these opinions and on these prospects when following these six guys at the very beginning of day two, the undisputed rookie of the year wide receiver one, Christian Watson, ends up catching touchdown passes from Aaron Rodgers. I, I think we're we're looking at a minimum six to eight Lambo leaps at the end of the year. We'll see how that finishes. But a little bit later in that round, what caught my attention, Wyatt, is if we're looking for day two guys who are going to have an immediate impact, the Chiefs grab Sky Moore, and it has me all of a sudden feeling like he could end up not just a big piece of the Chiefs offense, but maybe the biggest receiving piece. Yeah, Sky Moore is one of my favorite prospects of the draft. If you watch the video we put out not that long ago about some of our favorite prospects, I talked a good amount about Sky Moore in that. So I'm going to highlight a couple more of those things right now, but he's a productive player even as a freshman. Uh, had a very big junior year. Uh, he's a non-Power 5 school guy, but 
I think that's okay because he's an early declare from one, and we don't see that very often, so I think the early declare kind of cancels that out. He had a 91 percentile college dominator, 99th percentile college target share. He's a good athlete, good route runner. Uh, he could play inside and out, though. I think he fits more as a slot in the NFL. I think that he can pl- uh, really fit into the Kansas City offense because they like to move their player, their wide receivers around in the offense. And considering who else is in that wide receiver room, I don't see how Skymore couldn't end up being the number one receiver for them. I mean, he's Juju. We kind of know who he is at this point. And then there's Marquez Valdez-Scantling and and Michael Hardman, who have never really lived up to what people want them to do. Now, with that said, even if he is a wide receiver one, the wide receiver one for them, that may only be like a wide receiver three for fantasy this year because I could see that ball getting spread around a lot and Travis Kelsey is the true number one receiver there. But with that said, I mean, even him being a wide receiver three as a rookie would be pretty good as a second round pick and, you know, can only go up from there in my eyes. Uh, he's right now, he's my my 110 for rookie drafts, and I'm pretty excited for him. Now, one thing I will say that is very noticeable, at least to me, Jake Perry's of the world, please look away. I see Atlanta, I see the Jets, I see the Saints, the Lions, the Commanders, the Titans, the Packers, the Giants, the Texans, the Patriots. I, I don't see anybody catching the ball for the Bears in that list of people. So we're going to smash the under on the Bears this season. Now, I would say the flip side of that is it might be stock up on Darnell Mooney. What do we think, Nate? Yeah, I've been a huge Mooney supporter. Um, I think his season went completely under the radar last year amidst all the uh, quarterback flip-flopping and the naggy debacle. Um, but Mooney last year, ninth in target share, 10th in yards per team passing attempt, 11th in weighted opportunity rating. The guy was an absolute stud, and it seems like nobody wants to give him his due. I don't really know why. Of the top 15 wide receivers in target share, he had the lowest TD rate other than DJ Moore. Um, you expect Fields to take a step in his second season, um, hopefully get that TD rate up a little bit. And yeah, they didn't add anyone of significance in the draft, so he's fighting for targets with Cole Komet, Byron Pringle, and they finally did go after a wide receiver in the third round with Vilas Jones Jr., who had all of 120 catches for 1,400 yards and 56 college games played. So I am uh, really, really high on Mooney. Uh, I think he's... I think he's going to be a wide receiver too this year for fantasy, for redraft. I think he's definitely got a lot of ceiling, and I'm trying to acquire him anywhere I can in these drafts. I would trade probably in this draft, if I had it uh, 106 or later, I'd trade it for Darnell Mooney right now. So I like the take. I could be very in on Mooney. I could be very in on Kmet. I do still think there's room in Chicago, probably pretty obviously, for there to be someone else to catch the ball. Who that ends up being, does it happen this year? Does it happen next year? Who knows? Jake, as the residence Bears guy, I'll go to you in case you have any particular targets. I will say, it, not the best story of the draft, but kind of sucks. Justin Ross goes undrafted. A lot of people kind of liked him. Seems like a good all-around kid. He's dangling out there. How do you feel about Ross? Any chance you think he'd help the Bears right away? Yeah, I don't think there's been a larger stock loss over the last two years, two or three years than Justin Ross. You know, this is a guy who was arguably one of the best wide receivers in a room with T Higgins, you know, amongst others, you know, at Clemson and it's just kind of, you know, fallen down everybody's boards going undrafted, still not being signed after, you know, almost 
at least 18 hours of, of UDFA signings being able to be out there. You know, it really sucks to see. And he's a, he is a guy I would like to take a shot on, um, you know, amongst, you know, there's still some veteran guys that I wouldn't mind to see add to the room. Um, you know, like a Will Fuller's an option. Jarvis Landry's still an option that's out there. Like there's potential guys that you could add to this room and at least make it a passable offense. Um, Justin Ross, you know, it's it sucks, but it, it's, it seems like his athleticism is just gone and it's just hard to, to get excited about that. He's the type of guy I would be willing to take a shot on just because as, a, as an undrafted free agent, you know, what do you have to lose? You know, it's $175,000 or whatever, you know, the, the minimum contract ends up being for him as a practice squad guy just to bring him in and see what he's got. You know, when your, your wide receiver room is Byron Pringle, David Moore, like it, it's not that hard to beat out some of these guys who we've seen continually get beat out by worse talents. So I think, you know, there's a, there's a really good potential there um, to add that. We could also see, you know, they drafted a special teamer a little bit later in the draft. Maybe that means Montgomery and Khalil Herbert both see a little bit more of the passing work, um, you know, with Herbert playing more on the offensive side of things and a little bit less on special teams. So there's a few different ways that it could go. Um, but if the Bears wanted to take a shot at Justin Ross, I'm all in, even with as low as the stock has been. Hey, Skylar, I'll come to you for this one. I am very interested on what people think of Cole Komet now that the draft dust has settled so to speak i didn't really see a lot of strong feelings about the rookie tight ends after they went to their respective landing spots so maybe this is a spot where Komet moves up in both formats yeah i think for both formats if you're going to pass on the first guys and you're looking at who gives me the best chance for some spot starts and redraft cold commits that guy for me i think he's underrated in dynasty as well uh we had a whole dynasty digest episode where we discussed cold commit so i'll try to keep it short i'll just hit the bullet note to that but Basically, the takeaway we had was over the last 10 seasons, there were 96 tight ends who saw between 80 and 106 targets. That's 13 each way of where Komet was at last season. Their average stat line was was 90 targets, 60 receptions, 660 yards, and 5 touchdowns. Cole Komet last year had 93 targets, 60 receptions, 612 yards, 0 touchdowns. He is the only player in that data set of, of uh, 96 tight ends who had zero tight ends, zero touchdowns on that volume. That's the difference between tight end 21 and tight end 13. So I think he's due, and that's one of the things I just, I love about Cole Komet moving forward is he's due for that, that positive touchdown regression, and it's paired with a 20% red zone target share. He's a year three tight end with round two draft capital. He has a set QB starter who's not a rookie anymore. It's not a rotating door like it was at points last year. It's a secure target share given the way that the draft went. There's no more Jimmy Graham, and he has a decent enough athletic profile to do some work. He's not a worse athlete than a guy like a TJ Hawkinson. And I, I just, I, there's a lot of things for me to like at Cole Komet for his price, which is outside the tight end one territory. Yeah, guys who are outside of the tight end one territory that pay off are always huge. Who knows if we'll see that from a rookie this year. As far as the league's concerned, the highest potential is is McBride. He goes at the end of the second to Arizona. What do you think we're going to see with him in, in Arizona, Wyatt? I'm really excited for Trey McBride. I think he was easily the best tight end prospect in this draft. He was highly productive in college. Uh, as a senior, he had a 34% target share, 90 catches, over 1,100 yards. Um, he's also really athletic, ran a 4.56 at his pro day at 245 pounds. So he he meets the the athleticism that we want to see from our tight ends. We know that the, the best tight ends tend to be really good athletes as well. I'm not really concerned about Zach Ertz sitting in front of him um, because we don't expect much from our tight ends right out the gates anyway. So it's okay for him to sit and learn behind um, 
uh, Zach Ertz in his first year. He could possibly contribute a little bit for now, but really we're just talking about the future with him, which we do with our early tight ends. It's only basically Kyle Pitts and Evan Ingram who have ever, ever actually mattered as a rookie. So I'm not concerned there. Uh, hopefully, Kyler Murray, he seems happy, so he'll be there for the long haul with Trey McBride. So I'm excited for Trey McBride. Right now, I have him as my tight end um, 17 already, uh, and I'm okay with taking him in the middle of the second round of my rookie drafts, have him sit there and learn, and then hopefully plug him in next year. Yeah, the early reports from ADP and rookie drafts have McBride going at 22 at the end of the second, which looks like a steal in that particular range. So I'm right there with you on that one. Nate, you have anybody that sticks out to you? Yeah, after McBride, it's all a bunch of dart throws, but there are a couple that I do like. Um, Jelani Woods and Greg Dulcich, both getting day two draft capital. Uh, Jelani Woods is just an athletic freak. Um, so we love our tight ends who have the athletic profile that if they do develop the pass catching, then they can be that guy. So I'm all all about taking a shot on Jelani Woods, especially with how wide open that tight end room is in Indianapolis. And then Greg Dulcich, um, him getting drafted in the third round says to me that Albert O is not necessarily the guy in Denver. And I'd be interested in taking Dulcich in the third round and throwing him on my taxi squad and just seeing if I have something there because he does have that same pass catching ability. Now, Tyler, I'll kick it back to you. I don't know if you have any strong feelings on Isaiah Likely or the other guy from Iowa State that went to Baltimore, but kind of the same way that I picked on the Bears, I noticed looking at my sheet that not only is there not really a lot of pass-catching additions for the Ravens, they lost one with Hollywood Brown heading out to Arizona to join Trey McBride. What do we think about anybody who the Ravens added and what's going to happen with their pass game going forward? So what's going to happen with their pass game going forward is it's going to regress in 2022. That's for certain. Um, I think like just looking at things like in 2020, um, Baltimore uh, passed the ball 44% of the time, which is insane. I usually see that number like floating around the league average like 58% of the time. We saw that obviously move up like the, the, the Ravens this past year, obviously threw the ball a hell of a lot more. But I think that's just because of the uh, litany of running back injuries that they're dealing with. Like if you can throw the ball, to Marquise Brown or Mark Andrews or Bateman, or you can hand the ball off to Latavius Murray or Devonta Freeman, the corpses of, you're probably going to throw the ball. So, I mean, Baltimore's going to want to run the ball. I think we know that. I think when with Dobbins back, they get some of those, I think Gus Edwards back healthy, they're still going to run the ball, but it doesn't mean there's not going to be some fantasy relevant passing going around, which in my opinion, when they took Bateman last year, it was probably one of the worst landing spots considering, but with Marquise Brown out of the way, like I, I think people need to start talking about Bateman a bit more. He was my wide receiver two last year in that class dealt with, I believe a core injury to start the year, got a little bit of a slow start. Didn't really do a whole hell of a lot, but you know, Bateman would have been right at the top of this class. If Bateman was not in 2021 and in 2022, he would have been sitting very much. So um, right at the top here, he is an incredible prospect. Um, one of my favorite in a long time. And now the main wide receiver is out of the picture. I mean, I, I think also the trade itself speaks for it, that they're, they're comfortable with Bateman there. Um, while there's not a lot to go around, I think it's really just Mark Andrews and Bateman that are going to be catching any balls really whatsoever. I wouldn't be surprised to see Bateman and Andrews hold like a, uh, maybe six, like 55, possibly 60% uh, target market share from the passes. Um, so to me, Bateman, before – Things happened here with the trade. You know, he was sitting around that, like, high 20s, low 30s in ADP. That's obviously going to move up. 
But at, at the same time, we saw Marquise Hollywood Brown last year in the 13 games when Lamar was playing. He was at wide receiver 15 on the year. And I truly believe that Bateman is a better wide receiver and a better prospect than Hollywood. So this isn't me saying, you know, lock Bateman up for a top 12, top 15 season. But he really needs to be inside that conversation for being a rock solid wide receiver, too. I do like that. That's about what I would like to see of him this year. I got a lot of shares of Bateman myself personally. Um, why? Let's put a bow on the wide receivers. I'm not convinced, my friend. So I will let you take one shot at convincing me, and then the room can step in afterwards. I'm looking at these rankings, this ADP, I should say, not rankings. That's right in front of me. I see London going three, Burks going four, Wilson at five, Williams at six, Olave at eight, Christian Watson at nine, Sky Moore at 10. Pickens is at 12 and Jots and Dotson's at 14. Why in the world would I want anything other than 110, 111, 201, 202? I feel like I can sit back and whether it's Watson, whether it's Moore, whether it's Dotson, I have just as good as chance as getting a star as everybody else picking in the early first round, zero interest and going up to 103, 104. Am I off base? For me, yes, because I think there's a clear top tier of Traylon Burks, Drake London, and Garrett Wilson, with uh, Garrett Wilson being my favorite of those three. But I think those are the three wide receivers in this draft who have the most realistic ceiling of being a fantasy wide receiver one uh, for your teams. I think a lot of the wide receivers in this draft have wide receiver two uh, as their ceiling. And that's why there's a clear uh, tier break for me, at least, with... Uh, Wilson, Burks, and London being at the top. I got to agree with Wyatt here, um, especially when we look at things from like an analytical perspective. We know there are certain things that we really like to see out of our rookie wide receivers. Production, being an early declare, and that early draft capital, which is something that we get out of those top three guys there that some of those later profiles are missing. You know, with Jamison Williams, he's got a shorter production profile than a lot of the other guys, though he was really productive this year, still is an early declare. With a Christian Watson, you know, he was productive for the offense that he was in, but generally speaking, he was a little bit lower productive out of a non, you know, power conference school, late declare, um, not late declare, on time declare, a senior who gets out there. You know, same thing with Alave. We see him as a senior declare, though I think he could maybe be the exception of the rule a little bit because he probably could have been drafted with with fairly high capital, you know, last year, but I think he got he was smart in going back to school in terms of like a, from a business decision standpoint. So I think when we just look at analytical profiles, we have a much higher chance of hitting on a Garrett Wilson, on a Traylon Burks, on a Drake London than we do on some of that later tier. So while those guys can be very, very good, I think you're looking at like a Darnell Mooney type ceiling where, you know, fringe wide receiver one is in discussion there, but I don't see him you know, really able to take that next jump there. Though I think like Mooney, obviously being the wide receiver one with fields is it's a possibility. I think you're, you're gambling on too many possibilities and you have too many things going against that happening from a data standpoint. All right. So it's a draft day miracle and I am convinced I need 104. I need 105. Now this, if I had a Garrett Wilson shirt underneath my Christian Watson shirt, I'd take it off, but this is all I got. So we're just going to keep rocking this Skyler. What am I doing with my 110, 111, 112s? How can I get myself up to get one of those three guys? Yeah, so actually in a few different spots, I've just been offering every mid to late second I have on top of my 108 to try to get to 105. I think there is there is a clear, clear, clear cliff here kind of after that 20, even 112. 
territory and then another huge cliff in the back of the second. Um, so if you're comfortable moving one of these quarterbacks who could never end up starting, which is kind of what you're looking at in the mid to late second or a running back that is a backup or in a timeshare to jump from, you know, these wide receivers, we said they, they're solid and there might be a guy in the second group of wide receivers who ends up being a, t- a top uh, 12 dynasty wide receiver. But if you want to go for the best chance to get there, I think those top three guys are leaps and bounds above. Um, so I'm offering, I'm taking all the, one league I had like 208, 212. I offer those on top of 108 to try to get to 105. I've already in a few spots where I was in the early second offered. I offered 204, um, 208, 212 to get to, to one. 108 in a league i'm just offering every second i have basically to try to get into that first and then i'm going to try to do what i can once i'm in the first to get into the top five because i think if you're just looking and chasing that upside there's a clear cutoff at that 105 spot now i one thing you say there that really stands out to me is getting rid of some of these running backs to find themselves in a timeshare and i think that a lot of us had hopes for many of these rookies to land in some favorable spots where they would be able to have some immediate impact. Uh, one guy in particular I found myself pleased to add in some of the underdog best ball drafts was Isaiah Spiller, somebody who I thought, well, if he goes to the right spot, he's going to have an opportunity to give me some points right out of the gate. Unfortunately, I don't think I feel that way now. Let's let's maybe do some running back talk. In particular, Tony, I think you feel about the same way as Spiller as I do. Yeah, uh, 100%. I, I was one of the people that was like crossing my fingers that he ended up in a landing spot that was just golden for him. And ideally, you want him to go to a spot where he competes for the, the running back one spot right away on a team. And we saw the Chargers take him. And it's kind of like, well, they have Austin Eckler, who's a rock star in himself. So What's what's Isaiah Spiller's price now? Like, you know, if you take him, he's pretty much a taxi squad stash until, you know, whether there's an injury or they are using two running backs a lot more this year. You just it's it's like, where, where are we at in Isaiah Spiller? Like, I, I love his talent and I thought he would do well given the right opportunity. And I just feel like that right opportunity is now delayed. You know, I don't. I don't hate the Chargers landing spot per se. It's just not ideal. And if you're someone who loves Isaiah Spiller and you're trying to do everything you can to acquire him, you know now that he's just going to be a stash and wait. Or maybe a late flex play if there's an injury or whatever. You know what I mean? It's I wish he landed somewhere better than the Chargers, but until he gets that starting role, there's not going to be much there. All right. We, we can't leave it like that. At a 38% share of Isaiah Spiller, I need to hear some good news about my underdog teams for this year. And I know for good news on Isaiah Spiller, I can always turn to Nate. What you got? Yeah, no, obviously it was a it was a big blow to my hopes for Isaiah Spiller. I liked Spiller a lot coming out. Um, I thought his tape was pretty pretty good relative to the rest of this relatively underwhelming uh, RB class. Um, I guess the good news you can say is uh, Austin Eckler is the only guy really ahead of him. Eckler's 27, I believe. Um, you could He's dealt with injuries before, Eckler has, so um, there could be some scenario in which Spiller walks into a 
kind of three-down role at some point during the season. And if he does well during that, then obviously uh, his stock could come up. But you're looking more at like a Khalil Herbert kind of um, scenario there now, whereas before you were hoping for something like a, a Houston or an Atlanta um, landing spot where he could potentially uh, take over a workhorse role. Um, I still believe in the talent. I believe what my eyes told me about Spiller. Um, it's just going to be really, uh, really a lot more difficult for him to return fantasy value. Um, so yeah, there's, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a sad farewell to what I, what I hoped that Isaiah Spiller would be, um, just anywhere beyond the third round draft capital. Uh, you gotta feel like NFL teams are telling you uh, what they think about Spiller and there's just, uh, there's just every chance that they draft another guy next year too. So, um, he's not much more than uh, a guy to put on your bench and hope that, well, not hope, but, um, pray that in the event of injury he smashes so uh, not to pick me up i'm looking for why what about some of my teams where i kind of paired up spiller and brian robinson hoping for maybe uh a, a quick double tap on rookies i'm still looking good there right brian robinson going to the washington commanders was uh hurtful for me i i, I was really excited about brian robinson i think a lot of the, this team was excited for brian robinson because well, he's has legit NFL size. He's 6'2", 225. He's got good straight line speed, especially for his size. He's a capable receiver. And if he we thought, you know, he could go to a team that just wanted their, you know, early down grinder who could possibly contribute on third down and get some great opportunity on day two. And then he went to Washington where I'm not sure how he has a relevant path to any playing time or relevant playing time without an injury. Uh, we've got Antonio Gibson already there. I'm a big Antonio Gibson fan. I think he's a better uh, running back than Brian Robinson. I think Brian Robinson might be a little bit better uh, running uh, right up the inside on, you know, just right up the gut runs. But other than that, I think it's Antonio Gibson. And we know that Washington loves J.D. McKissick. They made sure that Buffalo couldn't have him uh, because they like having him as their third down back. So I don't really see any receiving opportunities that way. So without an injury, I'm not sure how Brian Robinson is really doing much in the NFL until there's an injury. And, you know, maybe this is just a succession plan for life after Antonio Gibson, and that's the hope. But I think I, at least I was, and I think some of the rest of us were really hoping that he was going to land somewhere where we could get immediate opportunity. And we were looking at him, you know, mid round or round two of rookie drafts. And now I'm thinking, I, I don't know if he even gets taken in the second round, at least not for me. All right, this is too depressing for my taste on running backs. I have to assume someone can tell me good news that at least I can just take Hall 101 and expect the moon. Yeah, um, I think some people being concerned because Michael Carter being there is is a little ridiculous for me. I think Michael Carter is like the ideal timeshare back, always was, always will be. Uh, he's he's a good pass catcher. He can do a little bit of everything. A good in relief, but just given his size and his his average of best production last season, I don't see him as a huge threat. Everyone wants this lone uh, Derrick Henry, Najee Harris type backfield situation, and it just doesn't exist in today's in today's NFL. So um, him going to the Jets, I think he can still see thirty to fifty receptions which is, you know, pretty conservative for backs with Michael Carter even being there, getting his as well. Um, and then if and then on the ground, especially if that offense takes any moves forward, I think, you know, he, he's 
going to be a lock in there for a running back one season. So, um, you know, I'm old enough to remember with Jonathan Taylor that Naeem Hines still exists. And, um, you know, with DeAndre Sift, Jamal Williams exists with, you know, all these top backs, they have partners who do things different than them. And I think it is a positive and it, people are getting nervous for the wrong reasons. Uh, I think you would just want to see that offense continue to take steps forward and, you know, the line and Zach Wilson's development and putting up points on the board because touchdowns are really what will put Brees Hall over the top at the end of the day. But as far as his work, his workload and the type of touches he's getting, uh, I'm not too concerned. I'm actually pretty excited. I, I think it's a good landing spot and I really like all the other things they've done in the draft. One thing I want to throw in here as well on Michael Carter is Michael Carter is much more Naheem Hines than he is like a real threat as a pass catching running back. He had 50%, almost 50% of his targets and receptions in three games. When you average out most of what he did, obviously we don't like to take out, you know, the big things, obviously the big games are huge, the big games are fun. But if you take out that profile, he wasn't getting more than three targets a game. Like there was a very small subset where he kind of took off as a pass catcher and then the offense shifted away from that. And I think they shifted away from that for a reason. So even if he does take some of the pass catching work, like you noted, Skyler, he can see 30 to 40 receptions as a, a rookie, uh, that being Brees Hall. And that's really all that you need to be already kind of teetering in on that fringe RB1 category. So I love the landing spot as well, personally. I don't think there were many spots that I would have preferred him to go, if I'm being honest. Hey, Tony, while well, I'm looking at my running back rankings, James Cook in Buffalo, does that mean Zach Moss and Singletary are dead now? Uh, personally, I think Zach Moss is dead to me more than Singletary is, but James Cook's certainly an interesting uh, prospect heading into Buffalo. We've seen Josh Allen not not necessarily throw it down to the running back a lot, but you know what? Who's to say that that Singletary and Moss just weren't good at that aspect? And Cook is so much better at it. You know, he could come in and completely provide that aspect for the offense, and maybe they switch it up a bit. But that's one of those like big ifs, and I'm not sure if I want to invest in a big if. I mean, I know like all the rookies are are ifs, but. I don't hate James Cook going there. He got a lot of buzz pre-draft and kept moving up people's ranks, and I think this landing spot definitely helps him, and he'll, his ADP will start shooting up here in the next week or so, and I'm sure it already has. Um, but I, I still think Singletary will be relevant in the offense, maybe not from a fantasy perspective, but I think he'll still be around. Matt, another running back that caught my attention was Walker going to Seattle. I, I think some people were particularly high on Penny because he was good value in some early redrafts and best balls that were being done. What do you think of Walker, and does that mean Penny's dead again? It's it's an interesting one because um, don't really know what this offense is really going to look like. You know, Ru Russ is gone. Who's going to be their, their quarterback? Is it going to be Drew Locke? Is it going to be um, – What's his, what's his, uh, Gino, um, you know, competing there too. So I do expect it to be fairly run heavy. Um, I would expect it to be a running back by committee. There's going to be Penny. There's going to be, um, Kenny is, is Carson still there too? Or were they moving on from him? I'm, I'm blanking on that. Um, but it's, I think it's be curious I, if he's even healthy enough to make the, ex exactly, exactly. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see how like preseason and camp goes before I really want to make a claim on these guys. But 
I would expect, obviously, just from age and, and youth that Kenny's going to be the guy going forward, you know, long term. So let's transition now to another topic. I'm going to go Wyatt here first, and then we'll just kind of move down the line with everybody. But I think it's interesting that we're getting close to time here for our episode. And we've talked just about wide receivers. There's not a lot of ground to cover for running backs or tight ends. There's not much except sadness for quarterbacks. That That's going to mean that a lot of these players fall pretty deep into some of these rookie drafts. I want you guys to think in your head, 301 in a 12-team rookie draft or later. Who's a guy that we have not touched on yet today that you would be interested in getting later on in your rookie drafts? Yeah, so for me in the third round, I'm actually targeting Khalil Shakir. Uh, getting back, picked by Buffalo, I think he has really a chance to become their starting slot receiver. Uh, looks like it's going to be Jamison Crowder, at least for now. But I think Shakir is really good with the ball in his hands, really good uh, just on short intermediate routes. And uh, Josh Allen is always kind of like that in his offense. That was kind of Cole Beasley before, someone who's just kind of a safety outlet for him. Uh, I think Shakir is limited as a player, I'll say, but I think he is really good just kind of staying in a short route, catching a quick, easy pass, and then doing something with it. And I think Josh Allen likes that, so I think he's got a possibility to be a contributor at some point down the line. I felt like there was a possibility Khalil Shakir would have snuck into the back of day two. So him falling to round five was a little surprising. And with, with exactly what you said, I think he can eat into uh, a little bit of what Jamison Crowder brings to the table and eventually uh, work in and take a little bit more. So I'm, I'm excited for that pick. But when I'm in the third round, um, the mid the mid third round, the guy I'm really looking at here is Keontae Ingram um, going to Arizona. Um, <laughs> just Just looking at that team, I think he has a clear shot at being the obvious backup there. And with James Conner's track history, his injury history, um, just them, their history of using a, a bit of a relief back. I think it's a spot where he could, he could, if anything happens, slide in and uh, jump up people's rankings. So you're, for the price, when once you get out of you know the elite prospects and we're in the third round, I'm really looking at who has the opportunity to get in there and do some work. Um, the other guy who kind of fits that mold, who I think maybe has a better shot to start right away, is Damian Pierce going into Houston. I actually really like the landing spot and the player. Um, but he is somebody that I am worried is going to end up getting overdrafted as people sit here and they think about their picks before the rookie draft. People who are drafting in a month might have a month to go on Twitter and everyone's going to see that Houston backfield and say, oh, it's Marlon Mack who you're competing with. Who did they take? Oh, Damian Pierce? And I think he might shoot up boards into that, you know, early second. And and I would be nervous at those prices. But if he does fall and you're in the late second, early third, that's definitely a guy who's at the top of my draft board. Someone for me that I, I've done a couple mock drafts this morning already, and I have been able to get him in this range of kind of very late second, early third, which hasn't really changed for him, which is surprising, is John Mechie. You know, he's got a really good profile. You know, some people can knock. You know, he didn't get necessarily, you know, you calculate his breakout age because his target share was a little bit lower. Uh, his sophomore year, he doesn't get that. But the man still put up nearly a 1,000 yards with other receiving options that we all know and love, like Najee Harris, Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddell. Um, you know, and, and he slots into an offense that his real competition is Brandon Cooks. You know, I think John Mechie is a better receiver than Nico Collins. Nico Collins was 
a guy who most people weren't, weren't even considering one of the top 10 receivers in last year's class until he landed in Houston. I think Mechie is a much better profile overall. And while he's not a perfect guy, you know, I, I've touched on this a bunch already. Like he got day two draft capital to a team that's weak at the wide receiver. Like he's the ideal of a landing spot may make the situation better. I'm going to go with uh, my man, my RB5 going into this, uh, Tyler Algaier, or maybe Algier. I honestly don't know how to pronounce his last name, but we know who we're talking about here. Uh, so um, went to the Falcons, went late. Don't love to see the draft capital. But at the end of the day, um, he's been one of my favorite running backs. I think he's not necessarily like a sexy running back. So I think a lot of people just kind of overlook him, played at BYU too. It's not always the best uh, to come from BYU, but – you know, while he's not like the most explosive runner, again, not sexy. Um, you know, I think he's got great instincts. He's got quick feet. He's got great size, 224. He caught 28 balls last year. So, like, obviously there's some pass catching element there. I mean, this dude ran for 2,700 yards over the last two years at BYU, 1,600 in his senior year. I mean, this guy is a baller. Um, and he goes to a situation where there really isn't much in his way whatsoever. Um, you know, at, at this point in time, like obviously Cordell Patterson is still aging, but like he's more of a hybrid. He's not really like a running back. Right. Um, so, you know, Damian Williams, Mike Davis, that's who he's got to beat. Like, yeah, sign me up for that. I think that's not a problem whatsoever. I think we, you know, I, I hate to, you know, do it every year, but we talk about who's the next James Robinson or who's the next uh, Elijah Mitchell. I think that there's a chance that, um, you know, Al Geyer has a real shot in being the starting running back for the Falcons going forward. So in the third round, absolutely sign me up. I mean, I would take him in the back end of the second if no one was standing there. Um, currently, his rank for me right now, if I'm taking a look, um, I got him at 20. Actually, I'm at 25. So if I needed a running back, back end of the second, but early third, I'm firing. Yeah, I think that's really kind of the theme of the third round for me is I'm just going to hammer whichever running back with an ambiguous backfield is back there. We haven't even touched on Zamir White uh, in Las Vegas. The um, Raiders just declined um, Josh Jacobs' fifth-year option. So he could have a role if he impresses in year one. We haven't talked about Tyler Beatty, who is a lot of people's favorites. Um Great pass catching profile goes to Baltimore, so he's behind uh, Dobbins there, but um, also an interesting prospect. There's a lot of guys, and I think that's just the strategy. After you get to the third round, you just fire on any of these running backs and hope for something because I'm not into uh, chasing any of these wide receivers who went late. I'm not into um, Tyquan Thornton or anyone else who's going to be in that range for you. So. I think that's that's just it. You just fire on whichever of these running backs uh, in the third round that you're most interested in, who the landing spot you believe in the most, the production profile, whatever it is for you. But get one of these running backs in your third rounds and just uh, hope they get an opportunity and smash in it. Like for me, I've got like a massive flat tier basically from like 204 all the way to like, I'm looking at now like 306, 307. And like... There's not much delineating these guys for me. They're all going to struggle to get opportunity, and you just hope they get the opportunity and they hit on the opportunity. Um, so I'm just going to smash running backs in my third rounds and hope for the best. All right, we got a couple minutes left, boys, and then we will get on out of here. Before we do that, I want to go quick hitter with a few names that we have not yet discussed, and I'm curious if there's any feedback. So since there's not a great way to do this, we're just going to go pop fly style, and I'll rely on my baseball background. I'm going to throw a name out there. That's your pop fly. 
If you decide you want to talk about that guy for a moment, say your first name, off you go. Sam Howe goes to the beginning of the fifth round from UNC to the Washington Commanders. Yeah, the track record for round five quarterbacks is essentially dust. So uh, that landing spot, you can cross Sam Howe off your draft boards. I have him, uh, I think I still have him like 36, and that's probably too high. That's right at your 3-4 turn. So uh, sure, fourth round, whatever. There's there's a shot that he's the third quarterback on that team or doesn't even make it or he's on the practice squad and finds himself in a uh, like Jake Fromm kind of situation. So uh, rest in peace, Sam Howell Hope. All right, now apologies if one of you guys hit one of these guys in your third round sleepers and we happen to go over on the second time. But middle of the second round, Robinson goes from Kentucky to the Giants. Great landing spot. Don't love the size profile, but we've seen what they can do with Kadarius Tony. I think this signifies that Tony's probably going to be moved on from at this point, and Robinson is essentially Tony if he produced in college. So I'll take Robinson over Tony. So I'd be comfortable reaching for him kind of in that you know late second, early third round as well. All right, somebody do my uh, co-manager Herm some justice here. 20th pick of the second round, Pickens goes from Georgia to the Steelers. I like Pickens. Uh, I think he's a good player, and I'm taking him right in that Jamison Williams range, Sky Moore range. Um, so I'm interested. We don't know what's going to happen with that Steelers room. Uh, Deontay, like we talked about with Terry McLaurin and the Jahan Dotson situation, I think uh, you could be looking at a similar situation with Deontay, maybe moving out of town. Claypool's been doing some crazy stuff uh, the last few years, so maybe he works his way out of their good graces. And uh, they obviously got Pickens in the second round for a good reason, and uh, I think he's a good player. So I'll definitely take a shot in him back into the first. 27th pick of the third round, White goes from Arizona State to Tampa Bay. I kind of like that spot. Um, I was, I was, I was pretty high on Rashad White going in. Leonard Fournette is kind of reaching that age limit of running backs, so him to end up in Tampa Bay, I'm, I'm a big fan of. Another stash for now, but I like it. Hot take is Rashad later. White over Kenneth Walker. Ooh, that's a good hot take that will definitely make the repeats for next year, and we will see how that goes. I love that's it. Fine. Good for you. Be bold. Take some Christian Watson with eight Lambo leaves. That's what I want to see from you boys. Two picks later, Davis Price goes from LSU to San Francisco. San Francisco leads the world in a running back you've never heard of, being their top point scorer every year. Anybody, any takers? Dude's not good at football. It does not matter. <laughs> I don't care. If, if you, the, the best thing about this situation is that people are going to be like, wow, 49ers drafted a running back on day two. Go buy Elijah Mitchell from them if that's how they feel. It's more sure of a death to Trey Sermon. Really? That's what it says to me. Trey Sermon's already dead, so we're good to go here, boys. Yeah, well, this just confirms it. If this, if this has you worried about Elijah Mitchell, I mean, come on. All right, let's hop to the third round. 35th pick, David Bell goes from Purdue to Cleveland. We getting anything out of that? Absolutely. David Bell over Christian Watson all day. Agreed. <laughs> all right. And that's the end of you. All right. Uh, 
anything else on this list that anybody cares about? Do we have any strong takers for Pierre Strong, Haskins, Snoop Connor, Calvin Austin, Romeo? Any last flyers? Yeah, Romeo Dubes. Romeo Dubes is um, going to outproduce Christian Watson this year. Agreed. Really wouldn't surprise. I mean, he's we we already talked. Christian Washington's going to put up that thirty-five receptions for six hundred yards and three touchdowns. You know, like Gabe Davis, Marquez Valdez Scantling stat line. I'm pretty. I'm going to get ready already for the machine that's in the next room to make Christian Watson the one that broke the mold, so I can wear that one. Uh, the the official Christian Watson jersey is on its way. The Packers did let me know this morning that it is on back order because there has been such demand for their new wide receiver one. So it's May twelfth before I can expect delivery for that but tony i i think you know what i'm going to be wearing for every episode of crushing the competition and as i parade around christian watson all season and i'm going to enjoy doing that why yeah. strong great yeah real quick about pure strong uh he's the only running back even though it's a crowded backfield for sure there who actually has some real home hitter speed out of that entire backfield uh damien harris could be out coming up here soon uh same draft capital as ramondre stevenson i could see Coming down the line, he could end up being the guy in the backfield. Skyler. Yeah, um, I just want to give a PSA that real-life draft capital does not equate to rookie draft ADP. And you please, please, please do not, and I've seen it already in drafts, take Tyquan Thornton in the second round. Don't take him in the third round. Sure, take him in the top of the fourth round if you really want. So even then, I'm probably still passing. Um, he, he's a speedster. He was like my wide receiver 20 before the draft. He's like moved up like three spots because of the DC. I don't, I don't see it. It's a crowded room. Bill wanted speed. He took a fifth round special teamer in round two. Uh, you don't need that on your fantasy team. And I'll, I'll extend that offer to Vilas Jones. Guys, almost turning 25 just because he went to a, a team that needs wide receivers in, the, what, the third round does not mean he needs to end up on your fantasy team in the second or third round. I will be passing on him as well. He's, he's right next to Thornton. All right. I think that's a good set of last-minute flyers for everybody. So we are going to wrap there. I want to take a moment to thank all of you for watching or listening wherever you may be. Please find all of our content at jwbfantasyfootball.com. Same name on YouTube, on Twitter at JWB underscore FF. The growth and work out of this group of gentlemen that you are looking here on this YouTube video is outstanding. Please stop by and support them in everything that they do. Read the articles, share the tweets, like the videos. We will see you here again soon.